0: Welcome to the Humanitarian Incidents Podcast, brought to you by the Security Incident Information Management Project. Throughout the series, we'll look at different aspects and perspectives of incident information and humanitarian security risk management. Each episode features humanitarian experts from Geneva to South Sudan, doing everything from research to operations we discuss how better understanding, management and use of incident information can improve organizations' risk management and access to crisis-affected populations. In this episode, I'm speaking with Megan Nobert, founder of the advocacy NGO, Report the Abuse. Megan Nobert, welcome to the podcast. Could we start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and the organization, Report the Abuse?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Megan Nobert, and I am the founder and former director of Report the Abuse, which was the first NGO specifically created to address sexual violence against aid workers.
0: And why do you feel the organization needed to be started up, if you like?
1: I... I started to report the abuse actually after going public with my own experience with sexual violence. So while working in Bentu, South Sudan in 2015, I was drugged and subsequently raped by a colleague from another humanitarian organization. And about six months after having that experience, uh, leaving South Sudan, starting to try and uh, do some healing practices, I decided to go public. Um, primarily because I had heard that there was another incident in the same location um, some weeks after I had, you know, woken up myself realizing I had been raped. And after going public, I was almost immediately inundated with other survivors coming forward to me saying that they'd had similar experiences, you know, they'd been shoved up against a wall by their boss, they'd had a tongue stuck down their throat, they'd been groped, they'd been attacked. Um, they've been violated, and I realized that an issue that I already knew was much bigger than myself um, was even bigger than what I had previously thought. So, Report the Abuse was quite genuinely born out of and based on all those voices.
0: And what impact do you think such a voice speaking up would have uh, in terms of safety for aid workers generally, and specifically in cases of sexual violence?
1: I think it's probably a little bit early to see what the impact is, in you. but I'm hopeful that in 10 years, you know, when we look back, that it will have been positive. I know from survivors that I speak with today, and I do still speak to a lot of survivors, even though Report the Abuse did close a year ago, It one survivor speaking up seems to help other survivors speaking up and now instead of you know just a handful of us at the beginning there are hundreds um, and people are increasingly speaking forward not just with their experiences and telling of what you know what happened to them but also their voices their faces their names um, their images and uh, the ripple effect of that is that there are conversations happening across the humanitarian community within UN agencies donors ingos uh, local organizations about The fact that this occurs, bringing it out of, you know, the darkness and, um, you know, disintegrating some of the shame and stigma that happens around when an individual experiences sexualized crime and uh, thinking through solutions um, to how we can make sure that this doesn't happen to other people in the future.
0: And it's often said that a lack of reporting is one of the reasons why there's an environment that enables perpetrators, particularly in terms of harassment cases. How can organizations encourage their staff to report incidents?
1: So I would actually challenge um, that. So I don't think a lack of reporting is the reason why there's an environment that enables perpetrators. I think lack of reporting is a symptom of an office environment, which enables sure. perpetrators. People don't report because there's a lack of trust or understanding or knowledge about how to report. Um, we need to be careful when we speak about these issues that we don't suggest that uh, survivors are to blame for not coming forward and therefore allowing incidents to happen to other people. We can't continue to put Um, continue to put that on their shoulders, um, because they're already bearing a lot. But that said, uh, reporting is a really essential piece to uh, getting accountability for perpetrators that are committing these issues. And we know that there's a lot of multiple and floating perpetrators um, in the humanitarian community. And so I think that the way that organizations can encourage their staff to report incidents is, first of all, um, by providing them with the means. To do so, um, often it's not very clear or well known, or reporting mechanisms are just not set up in a way which are uh, friendly to people that have experienced, you know, uh, traumatic incidents. So having multiple avenues which are available in multiple languages, which are comfortable to approach, which are trusted, which are confidential, and having reporting mechanisms that work not just for expats, and you know, it shouldn't be just a system that works for you know, uh, individuals from North America like myself or somebody from Europe, but it must be a reporting system that works for the cook or the cleaner or the driver or the translator, the you know local um, obtained community staff in the most remote areas of our humanitarian operations. So I think that's a really big piece is making sure that there are ways to report. Um, and then the second is helping staff to understand what happens when they submit a report. The feedback that I often get from individuals who are scared to report is they don't know what happens when they submit it. You know, I send an email to this anonymized address and then what happens? Does it then get sent to my country director who then comes and harasses me? Does it mean that it gets sent to HR who often gets drunk on the weekend and tells everybody what's going on? Is it being sent to HQ? Is it meanness being placed in my file? You know, what happens with my experience, my information, who is reading about what is happening to me, the darkest moments of my life. Um, And I think the other piece is when people come forward, organizations need to appropriately take action. So that means, uh, not brushing these incidents under the rug. It means not victim blaming or questioning survivors. You know, are you sure that's what happened? He's such a nice guy. Uh, it couldn't have happened like that. It must have been a joke. Learn to lighten up. Uh, maybe you're not cut out for this work. You know, those kinds of questions. We need to make sure that doesn't happen. We need to have investigations, which are, you um, appropriately timed and conducted by individuals with the right skills and knowledge, and uh, which try to hold ourselves to a level of accountability, which is appropriate, you know, not holding ourselves to a criminal justice system level of accountability, um, because we'll never obtain it, Um, and one which keeps uh, survivors informed and involved about the processes and ensures the best of our abilities. Um, the perpetrators will not be allowed to continue their behavior, either within that organization or others. It's a lot. Um, but if organizations continue to try and work on these pieces, there will be better reporting. and eventually that leads to a disabling environment where perpetrators are deterred from committing incidents because they know if they do, it will be reported and it will be taken seriously. It's all part of creating this, you know, disabling environment um, for the perpetration of incidents of, different types of misconduct, sexualized, rap, bullying, um, harassment and others.
0: So obviously it's it's a lot more complicated than simply telling people you should report this, but um, hopefully we're able to foster a culture where that becomes more the case that people are able to uh, trust the system and to, to come forward. If that happens, do you think the number of sexual violence cases reported by NGOs following hashtag AID2 allegations, it will prove to be just the tip of the iceberg?
1: Absolutely. Um, so there's a couple of different pieces to that. Uh, there's been a small number of cases being publicly reported um, after you know the you know, the Me Too, AID2 um, movement has really come about in the last year. And you know that's been really interesting and that's been really great that survivors are finding their voices and these platforms are being opened. Um, but what's being reported publicly is the very tiniest fraction of what's being reported within humanitarian organizations right now. Um, And a lot of those cases are quite historical and are difficult to address for that reason because perpetrators have moved on, witnesses have moved on, um, survivors in many cases have moved on. Um, And the other piece is that we're never going to fully know what the extent of this problem is because we will never fully know what the extent of sexual violence in any corner of the globe is because the experience is still treated as being personal and shameful and stigmatized. There's a lot of elements that we need to work on. Um, some of them are in the humanitarian community, um, others are within you know, the general public. But I don't think the fact that we will never know uh, the full extent of the numbers or that what we do know is just being you know the tip of the iceberg uh, should stop us from continuing to act, um, you know, about a decade or so ago, or a couple of decades ago, I guess, um, when GBV work was really starting to take off in the humanitarian field, you, one needed to prove that GBV cases were happening before a GBV program could be set up. You needed to show that there were incidents occurring, so that we could, you know, we could establish programming for reporting and support services, et cetera. And that mindset has changed, and we now go into any conflict saying. We know this is going to happen. If we build it, people will report it. And we need to stop focusing in the same way um, within our humanitarian organizations on the numbers and on the reports and saying, we know this is happening. We know this is going to happen. Let's build the reporting systems. Let's build in the prevention measures. Let's deter perpetrators from joining the organization that might uh, want to commit these types of acts. Let's hold them accountable when they do. Um, because if we build all those pieces, if we create the organizational culture where people will report and they will feel safe and comfortable and supported in doing so, um, then they will. And ideally, uh, in you know an absolutely perfect world, uh, we know that right now the number of reports is skyrocketing because people are starting to feel supported and there is a comfort in the number of people that are coming forward. And eventually we would want those numbers to go down because it would hopefully be a signal that we are creating that disabling environment.
0: Sexual violence is often seen as a woman's issue, but men are also victims they are perpetrators, and they are managers in the process. So how do we bring men into the discussion to find solutions?
1: I think that any time that you only involve half of the people that are part of a question, um, you'll never find a real solution. So any solution that is going to address sexual violence in the humanitarian community for survivors, of which, yes, men can be, um, or as perpetrators, of which, yes, women can be as well, um, any solution or... Execution of addressing this is never going to be full or work unless we involve absolutely everybody in the humanitarian community, um, and that doesn't mean yes, involving everybody of every gender, but also everyone of every you know religion and place it within the organization and ethnicity and you know bringing national staff into um, the discussions, not just making this an expatriate um, situation um, or discussion. So it's, it's really about making sure that everybody is brought to the table. Um, men are not a homogenous group. So saying we should bring men to the table by doing a training with them, isn't going to work for every single man in the same way that doing a training or opening up a survivor support group is not going to work for every woman that might be a survivor. So we need to think cross culturally. We need to think creatively in many ways. Um, to make sure that we bring absolutely every single person, every single voice to the table. And that is how we are finally, sustainably, I believe, going to address sexual violence in our community.
0: I was going to ask you as a final thought to Uh, To suggest anything that would improve the reporting of such incidents. Um, However, we've already talked a little bit about the process, how we can shine a light on every level of the due process and also making people more aware of their involvement and what happens after the report. So I guess what I would like to ask is if you had any specific advice for anybody that could be involved in the, the incident reporting, anything that you could suggest to them that would be beneficial?
1: So I think that if an individual is wanting to come forward and report their incidents, first, I applaud them um, because it is still brave to do that. Um, And the second is that I would really encourage them to find their support network. Um, It's report talking about sexual violence, reporting sexual violence. It's never an easy experience we're working on ways to make it easier to make it more survivor friendly but we're a long ways away from doing that so find your support network make sure that there are people who are going to be behind you on this journey um who are going to be there when things get hard and then and i genuinely hope that this happens for you cuz it didn't for me when it somebody is held accountable for what happened to you when there is a success that they are there to cheer on and um applaud uh, the fact that you were able to get that as well. So I think finding a support network is really quite vital. And I think the other thing is that um, survivors really do need to continue raising their voices. It's not our responsibility to solve this issue. Um, That is not, should not ever be held on our shoulders. Um, But, speaking out can be really empowering and healing, and so there is a value in that. Uh, And I think one thing that we didn't talk about, um, and which frankly isn't talked about enough, is how do we empower bystanders and witnesses and whistleblowers as well to speak out about these issues and to hold um, humanitarian organizations accountable, uh, to hold them to uh, higher standards, and to make sure that they also um, don't allow, you know, perpetrators or incidents or issues to slip between the cracks. I think that we all have, we all have a responsibility to work on these humanitarian, uh, to work on our humanitarian organisations to help create these environments which are safe and secure um, for ourselves, and then ultimately, also as well, for those that we are delivering humanitarian aid to. Um, the issue of sexual violence against aid workers is one of many. Um, it's one of many pieces to safe working environments and the safe delivery of humanitarian aid. Um, we know that there are connections between sexual violence in the aid world and, you know, bullying and harassment and other forms of hostile work environments. We know that there are connections to sexual exploitation and abuse of our affected populations. Um, it's one piece of a complex uh, a complex puzzle um, that we're really only just starting to, you know, unpack and put back together. Um, so it's, this is a really important moment to be speaking out, to be working on these problems because we don't know when it will come again.
0: Megan Nobert, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Thank you as well, Robert. I really appreciate it.
0: You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan underscore Nobert. The Security Incident Information Management Project builds the capacity of NGOs to undertake speedier security-related information management and sharing, thereby strengthening humanitarian response. And the project is supported by the European Interagency Security Forum, Insecurity Insight and Redar UK, and is funded by EU Humanitarian Aid. I've been your host, Robert Cudmore. Thank you for listening.